the heart of the Lord Jesus. On the night before he died, he gathered together with the twelve in an upper room, observing a special meal together, and he poured out the things on their hearts that they needed to know. And he talks about a topic that no one wants to talk about, but that the disciples absolutely needed to know. Someone once said that light and darkness cannot dwell together in peaceful coexistence. Therefore, a witnessing church will be a persecuted church. During China's Boxer Rebellion in 1900, insurgents captured a mission station. They blocked all the gates but one of them, and in front of that one gate that was left open from the mission station, they placed a cross flat on the ground. And the word was passed to those that were huddled inside that anyone who was willing to trample the cross underfoot and thereby deny the Lord, they would be permitted to leave with their freedom and their lives. But any refusing to trample underfoot the cross would be shot. Terribly frightened, the first seven students trampled the cross under their feet and were allowed to go free. But the eighth student, a young girl, refused to commit the sacrilegious act. And instead, as she left the building, she knelt down beside the cross and prayed for strength. She arose, moved carefully around the cross, and went out to face the firing squad. Strengthened by her example, every one of the remaining 92 students followed her to the firing squad. The topic of persecution. The topic of persecution. Many people fear to express what they believe because they're afraid it'll make things awkward or difficult in their relationships, perhaps if they're a student in their classes or in their careers. People will bring up certain topics in conversation, maybe religion, abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, alcohol, recreational drugs, whatever it might be, and you hear that in a conversation, and many Christians will hesitate to speak because they know that if they do, some of the people around them, if not most of the people around them, will respond negatively when they do it. Maybe you've experienced this and you've spoken out in the past and it didn't, it didn't turn out well. And you think to yourself, I'm not doing that again. Maybe you've lost relationships. Maybe you've had problems at work because of it. Maybe nasty comments, gossip behind your back. Why is it, you think to yourself, that when we speak up, we get such pushback when it's about God or the things of God? Is this some sort of recent development? Has something gone unexpectedly wrong? Well, Jesus warns his disciples of this exact scenario 2,000 years ago. And what he said then is exactly what you and I need to hear today. And we're in John chapter 15 this morning. John chapter 15 and verse number 18. The word of God says this. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, then had they not sinned, or had not had sinned. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the world might be fulfilled, the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, because they hated me without a cause. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask your blessing upon the reading of it. Give us understanding by your spirit. Help us to have hearts ready to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. It's only a few hours from this moment that Jesus would be betrayed by one of his own, by Judas. He'd be taken into captivity by the ruling Jewish elites that refused to believe in him as Messiah. 
He'd be put under false trial. He'd be lied about. Eventually, he'd be handed over to the Romans. The Romans would make mockery of him. They'd beat him. They'd sentence him to execution under pressure from the Jewish leadership. And then he would be sent to the cross where he would die for the sins of every man, woman, boy, and girl ever born or ever to be born. We know that three days later, he'll rise again from the grave. But before that happens, he gathers together in an intimate setting in an upper room, a guest chamber in a house, celebrating the feast of Pentecost, this holy day when the Israelites gathered together to have a special meal with great symbolism to remind themselves of what God did for them in delivering them in the past. They gathered together for the Passover and they remembered what God did for them in the past. And he begins to pour out his heart, talking about a number of things that they're going to need to know because he's been saying for a while now, I'm leaving. He's been saying that he's going to be delivered into the hands of his enemies and they're going to take his life. He actually reminds them saying, they're not going to take my life. I lay my life down. No man takes it from me. But they've been traveling with the Lord Jesus, these 12 disciples, for years now. And they know what it's like to be with him. And whenever there was a problem, Jesus was there and he's saying, things are about to change. Things are about to change, and you need to be ready. In addition to talking about servanthood, about love, talking about the Spirit of God, he talks about the topic of persecution. In verse 18, in chapter 15, he says, If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hates you. What does he mean when he talks about the world? Well, when it's used like this, especially when John writes about it, he's talking about the society, the system of society that is hostile to God and is under Satan's power. If I say something like that to you and you say that sounds crazy, that the world system is under Satan's power, then you have believed the lie that you were supposed to believe. That's exactly what the enemy wanted you to think. Make it as ridiculous as possible. Belief in, in Satan's uh, obnoxiously silly. And even through children's cartoons where Porky Pig was portrayed as uh, the devil in red pajamas with a pitchfork, all the way back to that time, trying to make people think he's not really there and he's not really doing anything. But he most certainly is influencing things behind the scenes. And there is a world, a way of thinking, a way of speaking, a way of acting that is hostile towards God and the things of God and God's people. Jesus is talking to his followers here, and he says, if the world hates you, if they look at you and they dismiss you, if they look at everything that you say and you stand for, and after they weighed it up, they've tossed you out, if they do that, I want you to know that they hated me first. You see, these were the disciples, these were the followers of the Lord Jesus. They were acting like he would act. They were speaking like he would act. At least that was their goal. That's what they were trying to do. And the world hated Jesus. The Bible says that he came to this world that he made and they rejected him. He came to his own people that he had come to redeem and they did not receive him. And we saw time and time again that those that were calling the shots that were in power heard what Jesus had to say and they did not like it because it was wrong, because it was evil, no, because it shone a light on what they didn't want seen. They rejected, they mocked him. Multiple times they tried to assault him. They tried to have him arrested to persecute the Lord Jesus. And there's a great difference that the world has from God and God's people. It says in verse 19, if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. There are some people that belong to the world, this way of speaking, thinking, and acting that leaves God out, turns very selfish and very wicked very quickly. And then there are people that belong to God. And there's two different groups. And these disciples no longer belonged to the world. Once upon a time, they were dead in their trespasses and sins. They were spiritually dead, the condition in which they were born. But they had come to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave them eternal life. And now their home was not this place anymore. You ever felt like you didn't belong? You ever felt like you didn't belong? As a believer, you flip through the channels on, on your television. You scroll through all the different things you could watch on your streaming service. You, you listen to all the music that's playing at the gym and stores and things around. And you're like, do these people even know what they're consuming, what they're listening to, what they're hearing? And you say, I don't even want to be around this. Perhaps you felt like that. 
You say, what is that? Your address has changed. Your passport is now different. Heavenly speaking, this is no longer your home. Heaven is your home. We are now pilgrims. We are passing through. This world is not my home. The old songwriter said, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. There's something that had happened to the disciples, and the disciples were about to face the reality that when Jesus was gone, the world was not suddenly going to stop because Jesus was gone and was going to start liking them that they too were going to suffer this persecution. It says that if they were of the world, the world would listen to them. But because they're no longer of the world, because Jesus chose them out, it hates them. Why? Because it's a reminder of the differences between God's people and those that don't know him. This is not about God's people being better than those that don't know God. There's only really two different types of people. You have sinners and saved sinners. And by grace are we saved, not of anything that we've done. We're not better than anybody else. But when somebody turns down something because they say, I can't do that. God's been too good for me for me to sin against him like that. The people that are doing it, the, the wrong thing, whatever that is, they start to feel very uncomfortable. How many of you have ever been in a situation where your behavior, because you wanted to honor God, made somebody else uncomfortable? You ever been there? I've told this story many times, but it was my first experience with this, and so it sticks in my mind. I worked as a student employee for the Ohio State Airport, and I did IT stuff for them, and there were two other guys that did IT stuff for them, and our boss told us that he did not mind if we lied on our timesheets. He said, I wish I could pay you more but I can't. You are capped out at this much an hour, the same thing as the guy who's making sandwiches over in the cafe. He's like, you're a student employee, this is all I can pay you. So I leave at three something o'clock. I don't care what time you put down in your time card as long as I don't see you leave before I leave. So the other two guys, they, they did it. They'd wait until he'd leave and they'd keep peeking out the window and peeking out the window. And when the guy's car was gone, they said, we're out of here. And they'd write down on their time card, it was 3.45, they'd write down on their time card, 7 p.m., right? And for a while, I did it too because my boss told me it was okay. But I started to grow in my walk with God and I realized that that was not honest. That was not right. Even though my boss told me it was okay, God told me it was not okay. And you know what? I didn't go and get in those guys' faces and tell them, you shouldn't be doing this, this is wrong, God doesn't like this. You know what I did? I started marking down the hours that I worked instead of the hours I pretended to work. And all of us had our time cards in the same drawer, in the same desk. And they all saw that I was no longer padding my hours. And when they saw that, they got very uncomfortable because now, if I wanted to do something about it, I could say against them that they were doing wrong. And from that day, they shut me out of all the projects. They tried to make sure I was not productive. They didn't want to include me in anything at all. And it became very uncomfortable to work there. You say, boo-hoo, Christians were, were murdered for their faith in the past. Yes, but that was my first experience with it. My first experience with it. That it's a reminder that they were doing wrong and they didn't like that reminder. Our association with Jesus, because he's the one that called us out, makes us a target just like Jesus was. Look in verse 20. He says, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Jesus did this in context. If you remember, he washed the disciples' feet. He was telling them, be a servant. Have a servant's heart. Get your hands dirty. Get involved. Do what needs to be done. And that's what the Lord Jesus did. He did what needed to be done. And he said, you call me Lord and Master, and you're right, because I am. But also note that I was willing to humble myself and be a servant. And he said, you're, you're my servants, I'm your master, and the servant is not greater, so you're not above serving. You're not above getting your hands dirty. You're not above helping. Well, now he's saying this same thing again. The servant is not greater than his Lord. And he says, if they persecuted me, and did they persecute the Lord Jesus? Absolutely they did. Absolutely they gave him a hard time. They harassed him and they said terrible mocking things. And it did eventually turn to imprisonment and violence and martyrdom. It most assuredly did. And you ask yourself, what did Jesus do wrong to deserve it? 
I think sometimes in our minds we think about people who get in trouble with the government or with a group of people that are in power that somehow they did something wrong. Can anyone tell me what the Lord Jesus did wrong? He didn't do anything wrong, did he? Not a thing. He never said anything that was wrong. He never did anything that was wrong. He's the sinless son of God. And he says, if they persecute me, they will also persecute you. And if he can do everything right and still end up being hated by this world, if he can do everything right and still end up being persecuted by this world, then you and I, as no greater than the Lord Jesus, for sure, should not be surprised if we face pushback. If it feels like we're going against the flow, against the grain, if it feels like something is not right here, why am I being given such a hard time? And people on the other side of this who look at Christianity like a large block, like some monolith where there's no difference inside, they'll say, oh, you're complaining about being victims when really you're the ones in power and you have everything and you're not really victims. But I want you to know, historically speaking, almost without exception, other than the, the last couple of centuries in the Western world, people who believe what we teach and preach in this church, what most likely you believe if you're here, people who believe what we believe have lived under persecution. That has been the reality of our forebearers all the way back to the early church, whether it was by the unbelieving Jewish rulership, whether it was by the Romans, whether it was by the Protestants, when they ended up coming out, we were still persecuted. We've gone through a series on Baptist distinctives on Wednesday night. All of that should be available online. If you want to hear more about that, there's lots to learn. We're grateful for our heritage. But it's, an, it's not an unusual thing to suffer persecution if you look at it through history. It's an unusual thing to not suffer persecution. This is the unusual time. The, the fact that we can all meet here safely in the Western world, that's the unusual thing, right? Because persecution, doesn't it seem really far away? Doesn't it seem really far away? You see these videos of, of people that uh, get dragged out into the street in some of these countries with Sharia law where Islam is mandated by the government and they're beaten and eventually executed because they converted to Christianity. You see people in China that refuse to allow the government to control what they teach and preach in their churches, and so they have to meet in secret, and they're ferreted out by government agents, and they're eventually arrested, and any, any foreigners involved are deported, and you say, that just seems so unusual, so far out there. We're almost past all of this. I wish that was the case. I wish we were almost past all of it, but I don't think we are. And if you can read the writing on the wall, and if the Lord Jesus tarries his coming, more and more people who have solid convictions that go against whatever is being pushed out in the world as a narrative today, whatever's being told you from media, from entertainment, from culture, from the arts, from music, if we push against all of that, we will be labeled as something. Hateful, bigots, domestic terror threats, all sorts of things. A hate group, God forbid, we don't hate anybody. But when we stand like Jesus stood on what was true, even if we do it with grace, we shouldn't be surprised if the world becomes upset with us. He says, if, you, if they persecute me, they'll persecute you. You may lose family. Society might come down on you. Government oppression. Look in 2 Timothy 3, would you please? In 2 Timothy chapter 3. I have a terrible, terrible sales pitch for Christianity I'm about to share with you. Everyone's going to want to line up. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Hold on a second. Shall? Not might, not possibly. It says, if you live godly, if you're going to follow after God, if you are going to shine as light in darkness, don't be surprised when there's friction. And it may look different in our country than in other countries, but it's enough to send some people into silence. It's enough to send some people into quitting on God because they just don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with it because they know if I say this, then... This person's going to be upset. If I say this, then this person's going to be upset. There are just some topics about my friends. There are some topics that my friends and certain family members around me will not bring up because they know what I'm going to say. 
they ask me a question. Well, what do you think about this? I'm like, you're asking a Baptist preacher what he thinks about this. Do you really want to hear my answer at Thanksgiving? Right? Do you really want to hear my answer? Because I will tell you what the Bible has to say about that. Right? There are some things that, that people do not want to hear. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So what's the option there? Well, we can live godly and shine and show the gospel to people and share the gospel with people, or we can refuse to shine and we can hide and we can stay undercover and try and make as few waves as possible. But there will be no one helped because of it. God won't be glorified through it, and those that are on their way to eternal damnation because of their own sin against God doesn't help them one bit if we're quiet. Doesn't help them one bit if we're quiet. Persecution tells us something about the hearts of those that engage in it. If you turn back to John chapter 15, in John chapter 15 and verse 21, but all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. You see, there was this hard distinction to figure out among the Jewish people which one of them actually believed in God and which one of them just said that they believed in God. Right? Because you had a corruption that started inside of the Jewish rulership, and this corruption, some of them just loved the power of their position. They loved being honored. They loved being thought of as pious. They loved the loopholes that it gave them when it came to uh, money and, and giving. They, they loved the status that was involved with it, and they talked a lot about God, but Jesus said that they were far from God in their hearts, that they were like vipers hiding ready to, to be filled with, or ready to bite, they're being filled with poison. They were like whitewashed tombs, like graves that were clean and cared for on the outside, but on the inside were filled with dead men's bones. And see, the Lord Jesus could see their hearts. He knew what was in the heart of man. You and I, we don't know what's in someone's heart. It's not our place to, to tell someone whether uh, they're saved or not. That's between them and God and the Holy Spirit bears witness. But if you want a definite way of telling whether or not these Jewish people believed or didn't believe, if they persecuted, if they harassed, if they mocked, if they came after Jesus and Jesus' followers against the things of God, you can tell that they're doing it because they do not truly know God. Jesus said, if God was your father to his, his enemies, he said, if God was your father, then you'd receive me. But you're of your father, the devil. Jesus said that. He told the cleanest living religious people of his day that they were of their father, the devil, who is a murderer and a liar. You say, didn't Jesus just go around making friends with everybody? You've done the coloring pages in Sunday school, right? Jesus is smiling and there's children and sheep around him and it's all happy. And here he is right in the face of his religious opponents that were taking people and leading them to hell by teaching them to not receive the Messiah, by teaching them not to have true faith in God, by modeling a selfish, merchandising form of religion, here he is in their face in public telling them, no, you're wrong. And it's like the blind leading the blind. They'll both fall into the ditch. And the disciples that you make are, are twice over disciples of hell. So Jesus was not afraid to tell people what they needed to hear. Jesus told a lot of stories. He told a lot of teaching stories, a lot of parables, right? He'd take earthly things that we all understand, and he would tell stories about heavenly things using them so that we would get it. You know who was always the villain in Jesus' stories? The religious hypocrite. That was always the villain in Jesus' story. The man who lived his whole life in sin, the woman who lived her whole life in sin... No, it wasn't them. It wasn't them, not at all. It was the religious hypocrite. And Jesus said, you can tell them because of what they do in their actions. Because from the abundance of the mouth, or abundance of the, the heart, the mouth speaks, right? What's on the inside comes on the outside, right? Here, here's a dumb question. When you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, when you squeeze a, tooth of toothpaste, a, a tube of toothpaste, what comes out? Why? Because that's what was inside, right? You're like, did you go to college? Did you hit your head? What's wrong with you? 
No, because what's inside, once it comes under tension, comes out of pressure, that's what comes out. So if somebody says something and they wonder, where did that come from? I can't believe I said that. You know exactly where it came from. It came from your heart, which means there's a heart problem. Something's going on deep down if that's what comes out when you're... And he's saying when they were under the pressure to either choose God or reject God, they rejected, and that's why the violence came out. They don't know him. And this will happen for my name's sake. Jesus said, just by being associated with me. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. If I hadn't come, Jesus said, if I haven't done the things that I did, if I hadn't been here, then they could have pled ignorance to their sin. They could have pretended that they didn't know, or maybe they didn't know. But because I came and I called out what needed to be called out, because I shined light into the darkness, which those that were in the darkness did not like, because I did that, they now have no place to hide it. If you had a cloak, right, pulled around you, you could hide what you were wearing, you could hide if your garments were stained, you could even hide a weapon. But when the cloak is gone, there's no place to hide it anymore. And so Jesus publicly called out that what they were doing was wrong and they hated it. Why don't sinners like it when their sin is pointed out? Well, it's the same reason why robbers don't go find police officers. They don't want to get caught. They don't want to get caught. And so his presence revealed their sin. His righteousness that he did right showed that they had done wrong. Verse 23, He that hateth me hateth my father also. This is a huge statement. This is a huge statement. Do you know what this gets in the way of? People saying, oh, I believe in God, I just don't know what I think about Jesus. Or I believe in God, but I don't really go for the whole Jesus part of it. Jesus said here that if you reject him, you reject the Father. Because if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Just a few verses back in John 14. Would you look there? John 14. In verse number 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Jesus was claiming to be one with the Father. Fully God, fully man, God the Son, second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all equally God, all at the same time. And the Lord Jesus is saying that if you reject him, you reject God the Father. There's lots of people that are willing to talk about God, but as soon as you bring Jesus into it, they're somewhat uncomfortable, aren't they? Why? Because that's the make-or-break point. That's the decision point. That's the place that makes us feel uncomfortable if we don't know him and rejoicing if we do know him. We keep reading in John 15. In John 15, verse 24, If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. He said, not only about what I came and showed them, not only about what I spoke, but the miraculous gifts that I did proved that I was who I said, that I am who I say I am. Right? In fact, Jesus' critics went to the Pharisees Excuse me, Jesus' followers went to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the group of Jewish religious leaders that pushed back against Jesus hard. And they said, wait a minute, isn't he the Messiah? Is the Messiah going to do more miracles than this? He's raising the dead to life. He's healing the sick. He's curing the ill. The blind are made to see. The lame are made to walk. The deaf are made to hear. What are we waiting for? Why are you guys not endorsing him? Why aren't you siding with Jesus? Is Messiah going to do more than what this man is doing? And the answer is Jesus fully showed that he was God by the miraculous works. By the words that he said. Remember, people came to arrest Jesus, but they listened to the sermon on the way in, and they stopped. And they went back and didn't arrest him. And their bosses asked, why didn't you arrest him? Never man spake like this man. 
And when they tried to take him and he did his miracles and they tried to grab him, he would just slip through their fingers because he would not be delivered into their hands until it was his time. Jesus' ministry among them proved that he was God and they did not like to have a God over them. This is something that you'll find people arguing for vehemently. Did you know that there is many reasons outside of what the Bible says to discount a lot of secular science and the evolutionary background behind it? There are lots of holes in the argument of um, evolution. There really are lots of holes in it, but no one will talk about it because if you do talk about it, you get booted out of academia. And you've seen this with certain people that were willing to do that. Why? Because that is the answer that they're clinging to right now so that they do not have to de deal with Genesis 1-1. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because if there is no God, then you're not accountable to God and you can live any way you want to. But as soon as you admit that there is a God, now you're accountable to him and you can no longer live any way you want to. And so people are desperate to not have a God rule over them, and so they'll cling to things that they think will make it. But let's be honest. How does something come from nothing? It doesn't. How does life come from non-life? It doesn't. How does this degree of fine-tuning in the universe come from chaos? This fine-tuning that we see that's enough to provide life here. It is intellectually dishonest to deny the existence of God. But they're motivated to do so because I will not have a God rule over me. You are not the boss of me. That's what the prideful, lost nature in man says. That same nature that said, God, I'm not going to listen to you in the garden and shook its fist in God's face and said, I'm going to go with the devil. I'm going to go my own way. You're, you're holding back on me. Desperate to have there be no God. Verse 25 but this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Now, I want you to know, they had plenty of causes to hate Jesus, but they didn't have a good cause. They had plenty of reasons to not like him. He called out their sin. He made them look bad. He took away their, their people. Their people were following him instead of following them in their religious hypocrisy. There were many reasons, but he never did anything wrong. And yet they still hated him. Because men love darkness rather than light. What do we take away from these words of the Lord Jesus that he left with his disciples this night before he dies? The first thing is to recognize the world's hostility. If you're in the habit of writing things down, the first point I'd like you to take with you today is recognize the world's hostility. This world is hostile against God. And it's hostile against God's people. Why? Because we have completely different ways of living, completely different goals, completely different priorities. What ends up happening is there's so little violent persecution in the West that we start to make the mistake in thinking that the world is our friend. Or that we can make the world happy and make God happy at the same time. But if we love the world, the Bible says we can't love the Father as we're supposed to. And when we love the Father, we will not love the world. Now be careful when I say the world, because I'm not talking about all the people that are out there. God loves all of them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, the Word of God says. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We know that God loves the individuals. We're talking about the worldwide system that has invaded culture and the arts and music and entertainment. I want you to, I want you to think about the, the TV shows that are common on, on uh, streaming channels and on cable televisions. I want you to think about them for a second. How many of the people that are in those shows are living together and they're not married? And it's normal. How many of the people that are in those shows are using terrible language and it's never thought of askew? That they're using alcohol or making jokes about recreational substance abuse? And there's no problem there. Promiscuous lifestyle is just accepted. There's never anything positive about religion. If religion is involved in any of these shows, it's always the bad guy. It's some ignorant bigot. You think that's an accident? Do you really think that that just happened by chance? 
No, there's something behind all of it. And the more that they normalize sin, and the more that we take it in, the more it's normalized to us. I remember it was a really big deal to have a gay character on a sitcom when I was growing up. I remember when they first did it. But now, if you don't have one, they'll cancel your TV show because you're not diverse enough. Right? But you know what was completely normal in my day was for people to live together before they were married. And all that goes with it. Never batted an eye. Premarital, whatever you wanted, was totally fine. And they normalize that, and you grow up that way. And I came into a church, and I heard somebody say that you ought to save yourself for your wife. You ought to save yourself for your husband. And I thought, nobody lives that way. Why would I say that? There were people who lived that way. I had just never seen it because that's not what had been pumped into me through the world. Recognize that there is a great difference here in culture, in academia, in entertainment, and even in government. I just don't, I, I want to warn you, I want to warn you that there is no governmental solution for the problems of our society. It will be the Lord Jesus Christ if anything is to happen. If there ever is to be some sort of resurgence or return to a way of life that pleases God, it will be because of a great revival, because of another great awakening. And we pray that God sends it. But I'm sorry to say that the vast majority of people in the government don't give one whit what God thinks, and the people that say that they do would drop him in a moment if they thought it would help their poll numbers. Not all of them, but the vast majority of them. Here's something that I had to learn. You can't compromise enough to make them happy. You cannot compromise enough with the world to make them happy. You think, well, what if I, what if I just don't talk about these things? What if, I just, what if I just cool it on the Jesus talk? What if I just go with them to the bars every once in a while? What if I, what if I just use some of their language? What if I just laugh at some of their jokes, their dirty jokes? What if I just uh, flirt around a little bit like the other guys do? What if, what if I just get... You will never make them happy until you've given away, Christian, everything that makes you distinct. And then once you've given it all away, they'll look at you with contempt because you abandon your principles. They're never going to accept you. They're never going to accept you. So stop trying to bow to them as though you can satisfy them. Recognize the world's hostility. Second, prepare for persecution. I'm really selling it today. Become a Christian. Jesus never did anything wrong and they still persecuted him. The servant isn't greater than the master and I do stuff that's wrong. So I'm not going to escape it. It may be subtle like gossip. It may be subtle like certain looks or quiet conversations when you come into the room. It may be like people not returning your text messages. It may be people unfollowing you online. It may be nasty comments to the things that you post online. Maybe you're passed over for an opportunity at work or school because of it. It may be open. It may be mockery. It may be uh, sabotaging you at work, throwing you under the bus. It may be rejecting us. It may be trying to hurt our livelihood. And in some parts of the world, it may be legal action that you get sued for because you take a stand against something that you think is wrong. It may involve prison God forbid, but it happens around the world, beatings. There have been people dragged out into the streets of third world countries that were just going around telling people about Jesus, and the village elders didn't want to hear it, and so they beat them. It seems unthinkable today, but martyrdom, actually losing your life. What do you think is the largest group of people persecuted worldwide? What do you think is the largest persecuted group worldwide statistically you think it's transgendered folks you think it's homosexuals you think it's islamic people you think it's people of dark colored skin no statistically speaking it's christians north korea iran china places where they're worked and put to death because of their faith. These are numbers that you can verify yourself online. Wow, being a Christian sure is great. It is. It is. It's the only thing that matters. Let me ask you a question. If we were in a war and we were doing something that matters, should we be surprised when the enemy retaliates? 
If we're taking ground, if we're doing the right thing, if we're headed in the right direction, should the opposition get easier or harder? It should get harder, shouldn't it? They should push back more. Do you know what? If you're trying to live for God, if you decide, you know what? I'm going to start reading my Bible and having quiet time with God every day. I'm going to abide in Christ so I can have some of that fruit. I'm going to be faithful to the, the services of my church. I'm going to give generously to God's work and those that need it. If you decide that you're going to speak up and try and encourage people that have been beaten under and are downtrodden, if you're going to try and do something for God in this life, do not be surprised when all of a sudden you get major pushback. You know why? You're starting to step into enemy territory. You're starting to take it away from the enemy, and he doesn't like that, and he's going to fight back. You know who the devil doesn't spend any time fighting? The worldly Christian. The worldly Christian. The person who's never doing anything to make... Because you're not a player. You're not on the field. You, you're not even in combat. Why, why would he have to motivate his forces, whether spiritual or physical, to oppose you if you're not doing anything? No, he's going to go after the people that are causing trouble. You know what that's like on a ball team that has that one player that everyone is trying to cover, that everyone is looking out for, because you can't shut them down. You can't shut her down. You can't stop them. They're not worried about the guy that never puts any points up on the board, who doesn't try. So we ought not be surprised. Don't be surprised when it happens to you. Don't quit. It probably means you're doing something right. The last thing is to show and share the gospel. Jesus' presence, his words, his actions, they showed God's righteousness. And that made people come face to face with a decision about themselves. Now God does that work through his spirit. And the spirit works through our witnessing. When we tell people about Jesus, the spirit draws people to this place where they have to deal with their own sin, the righteousness of God, and judgment. And they have to be brought to this place of either they're going to repent and accept the Lord because they admit that they were wrong or they're going to reject the Lord and they're going to rationalize their sin by saying, ah, the Bible's not true, God's not real, I can just do a little bit of it, it's not a big problem, it's just a small thing, it's a habit, I know it's bad, I should break it, right? And you saw that happen in the Bible. There were people that got told that they were sinners in need of a Savior, and they repented of their sin and accepted God's gift of salvation. In fact, they were so bothered, they said, what are we supposed to do? We've done these things that you've said that are sin. What are we supposed to do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And then there were other people that heard it, and they stopped their ears, and they beat the messenger to death. Book of Acts. Stephen. They didn't like what he had to say. They didn't like the light that was shown into the corners of their lives because of what it revealed about them. They had a cloak for their sin, but when they were brought face to face with a God who sees all and knows all, they couldn't hide their sin. And because they loved darkness rather than light, they reject him. And you personally have a choice to make. You personally have a choice to make. This isn't about being better than anybody else because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have something under the cloak that we need to hide. And yet we find we can't keep it hidden. Because no matter where we go, God sees. And you see, the thing is, God isn't some stern taskmaster out to try and zap you when you mess up. He's the loving father who says, how long are you going to stay in the pigsty, son? How long are you going to stay in the filth of the world? How long are you going to run from me? I love you. I've made a way for you to come back. I've paid the price. Yes, you wronged me. Yes, you've dragged my name through the mud. That's true. But I've loved you, and I still love you, and I gave the ultimate price. I gave my own son to die for your sins, to shed blood so that your sins could be covered. And he rose again from the grave, proving that he was who he says he was. He says, come back. I've made a way back. Yes, you've sinned. Yes, you've done wrong. But all of that has been covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can have eternal life and a new beginning. And this is the God who says, come. 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 Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can leave here today. You can leave here today knowing that heaven is your home. Why? Because you're good enough? No, because Jesus was good enough. Because you've fulfilled all the requirements? No, because Jesus did. Because you've paid off your debt because of your sin? No, because Jesus paid off the debt you have because of your sin. Or, or... You could say, I didn't like what that guy had to say. 
I didn't like what that guy had to say. He made me feel uncomfortable. That rat called me a sinner. And you can rationalize and be like, the Bible's probably not true anyway. Just written by men. Probably got a bunch of errors and stuff in it. Translation mistakes. I heard all that stuff on the interwebs. And you can walk out and, and, and not have any difference. Why, why would you do that? Is your pride, is your need to be right, is your need to be the king of your own life, the queen of your own life, so powerful that you would walk away from eternal life and the forgiveness of sins? Whose approval are you so worried about risking that you wouldn't accept the Lord Jesus? It's a sad thing, but I can tell you many times, I, I, in this church, I heard this, and I sat right over here, and I walked out that door, rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. I don't need that. That's a crutch. That's for brainwashed people. This is a cult. You go to church too often. I don't want to be here. And I walked out the door, and God, in his great mercy, gave me at least one more opportunity. And as an 18-year-old young man, I knelt down at the side of my bed, and I prayed, and I asked the Lord to forgive my sins and be my Savior. What a patient God. What a patient God. And now we can be this light to others. You say, it's going to make them uncomfortable. Yes, they need to be made uncomfortable. Have you ever had the doctor tell you you need to change your diet and your exercise habits? Has he ever told you to cut down on the sodium, take a baby aspirin, watch your cholesterol? I won't ask you to raise your hand. Yes, I will. How many of you have ever had the doctor tell you that? Bunch of liars. Anytime, the doc, that's the doc, my doctor can be fat and he'll still tell me I need to lose weight. <laughs> it's like Dr. Phil putting out that diet book that he did 15, 20 years ago and you're like, it didn't really work for you. Why would I, why would I do that? You know, it's uncomfortable when he tells you that. It's uncomfortable when she tells you that. But if you aren't confronted with the need to do something will never do something. And so when you tell people that, yes, they've sinned, but there is a great Savior, yes, there's a penalty for sin, which is death and hell forever and separation from God, but that God wants them, and he's gone to great lengths to have them, giving his own son. When, when we share the gospel, remember, we have to show it too. It's important to tell it, but if you don't have a life that backs it up, it's very weak. It's very weak. But when someone who has lived that life comes to speak in front of you and say, and not that their life was perfect, but when they messed up, they owned it and apologized for it, because I am most assuredly not perfect. Far from it. Right? Far from it. But God in his mercy has saved me. And he can do the same for you. That's the message of hope that we need to give to people. Give people the good news and encourage them to receive God, even if it makes things awkward. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment? We have in our church what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that God has spoken to you about. And I don't know what it is that God has spoken to you about today, but I hope he has. That's my prayer every time I come to church is to hear from God, to be changed. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Christ to forgive your sins and be your Savior. I'm not asking if you're a good person or a bad person. I'm not asking if you pay your taxes. I'm not asking if you're successful at your job or if you've got a substance abuse problem or if you have a warrant out for your arrest. I'm not asking if you're a member of a church if you tithe, if you've been baptized or christened, I'm not asking any of those things. Was there ever a time when by faith, you believing that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave, that you believing asked God to forgive your sins and be your savior? I didn't know much about God. I didn't even agree with everything I found in the Bible. But as an 18-year-old young man, as I mentioned, I knelt down at the side of my bed one night in the spring of 2001. And I prayed and I said, Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I know that my sin must be paid for. Forgive my sin. Save me. And you know what the Lord Jesus did that night? He saved me. 
All of that gift of eternal life became mine. All of that cleansing and all of that forgiveness became mine that night. I didn't do a single thing to deserve it. Jesus did everything. You can receive that today. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and Pastor Steve will be down here in the front of this aisle as I go to make ready to baptize. And just slip out of your seat and say, Pastor, I need to, I need to know for sure. I've got doubts. And someone will take you aside privately, a gentleman with a gentleman, a lady with a lady, and they'll show you from God's own word how you can know, not guess, not hope, how you can know you're going to heaven. You can get God's word on it, his promise. Maybe you're here today and you are underneath some persecution. You're not being beaten, you're not being jailed, but at work, at school, among your peer group, among your family, things can get hard. People say things. Sometimes they, they sabotage things. They're always picking at you, always messing with you, always talking about every time that you fail. And, oh, if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't act like that. They mock you if you speak anything about the Lord. And, and maybe you're tempted to just be quiet. You're tempted to just keep it under wraps and be an undercover Christian. The world needs your light to shine. The Lord desires it. He desires to see people saved through your life. Don't let the pushback make you quit. Let it encourage you to go forward because it means you're headed in the right direction. You're threatening the enemy's hold over the lost souls of boys and girls and men and women. Keep going. Maybe you've thought that the world was your friend and you've let a little bit too much of it into your home and a little bit too much of it into your own mind. And you say, I need to put up some boundaries because it is no friend to me. Maybe you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism or you want to put your life and influence in this church as a member. Whatever it is that God has spoken to you about, would you say yes to him today? Father, be glorified in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.